Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Like I said, uh, my name is Mark Ferran, um, and for the last five years, I've lived in a small town called Bland, Missouri. No jokes needed. It lives up to its name. Um, it's, it's a really small community, um, and it's a joy to be here today. Uh, whenever any guest speakers would come to the church where I've served at, um, I would let them know, like, what do you need to know about speaking here? And I'd always say, it's 30 minutes. That's how long the sermon is. If you go over that, I will hear about it. And they're like, really? It's like, you don't understand because there's a, there's a restaurant in town. It's the only restaurant in town. And this church down the street gets out at 11.30, and we get out at 11. And so if you go over and people are late, I'm going to hear about it. And sure enough, I'll come back on Mondays, and people come up to me like, how was the sermon? It was good. It was 33 minutes. I'm like, are you timing it? Like, wow. Uh, so my name is uh, Mark, and I'm, I'm going to be moving up here to the Des Moines area this summer, be joining our EFCA Central District staff as the regional superintendent of the northern part of our district, serving under the leadership of Mike Shields, who is our head superintendent. Uh, my role basically will be a lot of helping new churches get started, whether um, seeing new churches planted in communities that don't have gospel preaching churches, helping churches that want to begin to multiply and spread into new areas in their communities, um, as well as helping churches that are going through seasons of transition, uh, seasons of hardship, seasons of conflict, um, and just walking with churches um, as they go through the, these difficult times. Uh, my role is a, a missionary role, which means uh, my wife and I will raise up a team of prayer and financial partners so that we can serve our churches in this way. Um, and you can ask me more about that afterwards if you would like to. Um, but today what I want to talk about is love. Uh, I want to ask one question for us to, to think about, and it is this. What does love look like? What does love look like? And I want us to, to think about this because it's an important question uh, because so often we as Christians can live our lives uh, evaluating how we live with a scale that is unbiblical. Now, I remember growing up my whole life, my whole life I've, I've been in the church since I was a baby growing up, and it's a huge blessing. And I remember my whole life basically being taught at times in, in school, I mean Sunday school and the Christian school I went to, basically that every day I need to evaluate my life and, and seeing, am I living in a good way? Or are my actions good? Or are they bad? And what we're going to see today in our passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is, is this model of evaluating our actions in this way is faulty, where it lacks something. Because if, if the only way we look at our lives and say, am I doing good things or am I doing bad things, well, we're not really evaluating and looking at our hearts. And Jesus' own words to us is, out of the heart comes defilement. Out of the heart comes motivation. And, and so our passage for today is 1 Corinthians 13. And what this passage shows us is just that love is one of the deciding factors the deciding factor of what is pleasing to God in our actions. What this passage shows us is that things that are not done out of love do not have eternal value. The things that are not done out of love, 
basically don't please the Lord. And we see this as the Apostle Paul writes this. Basically what he says is he gives us a big list and he says, here are a bunch of good things I can do. Here are a bunch of things I can do. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And they're all wonderful things. They're great things. They're things we should be doing. But then he adds the caveat at the end of it. But if I don't do it in love, it's not of value. If I don't do it in love, it doesn't profit me anything. If I don't do it in love, and that's how he starts this out. If I, if I have enough faith that I can literally move a mountain, but don't have love, it's not a value. If, if everything that I have, I give to the poor, all of the money God has entrusted to me, my home, if I give it all away, but don't do it out of love, it's of no value. That, that's what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, starting out, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You see, what 1 Corinthians 13 is trying to draw out of us is it's not just about doing good things. It's making sure that the motivation of our heart is love in these things. It's in everything we do in life, allowing the love of God to flow in us and through us. And that's why we must ask the question, what does love look like? Because so often in life, there are not easy answers. For example, let's say you own a business or you have a, a job that's very demanding. And constantly throughout the week, you feel that tug on your, your heart, basically, that you need to stay later at work to get things done. This is how you provide for your family. And if you're a business owner, you have to. You can't just tell your customers you're not going to do the work. Or, or if you have a, a boss, you can't just tell them, I'm not going to do that. And, and so you constantly feel that pull to stay there and work. And at the same time, if you're married and you have children, you have a responsibility to be at home, caring for your family and loving them and being present. And so you have this struggle in your life saying, what does love look like in this situation? Because you have to care for your family and you have to be present with your family. What does love look like there? Or another example, let's say um, you, you have someone at work that is a very difficult person. Or, or if your kids are in clubs or things like that, another kid's parent, and, and every time you're around them, you just feel tense. You've always disagreed with them. You, you've always ha basically had arguments or disagreements. And even when you're not with them, many times they ruin your day because they're still here. And in those situations, what does love look like? What, what does it look like to love them well and allow the love of Jesus to to flow through you in these difficult situations in life. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13. Is it, he's writing to a church that's in the midst of conflict and problems going on. And what he does, basically, is he says, this is what love looks like. And he doesn't give us a definition. He doesn't give us a description. He paints a picture. 
Because what, what he does is, is he begins to unpack 15 action words to show how love is an action. A lot of that is lost in translation because when we translate it from the original language of Greek to English, what's, what's lost is in English it's translated into a passive sense. So love is patient. Is is not an action word. As compared to our action words in English, run, jump, hit, is, is passive. It's, it's a linking verb. And all of basically these words are de described in a very passive way in English. But that is not the Apostle Paul's intention here. His intention is to paint a picture of love is an intentional action. For example, love is patient means love suffers long. Love is willing to suffer for the sake of another. Love is kind. Love acts kindly. It's an intentional action. And what the Apostle Paul does here is he, he gives us 15 descriptor words and eight of them are negative, meaning this is not what love looks like. And then seven of them are positive, saying this is what love looks like. And I won't be able to basically cover every single one of them today. We're just going to cover the first two. But I'm going to read them now. And I want you to basically think about what is the, the picture that Paul is painting here for us. Answering the question, what does love look like in all of those difficult situations when we need to understand love? 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. What we're going to start with today is just these two first characteristics of love. And it's love is patient and love is kind. And this first one, love is patient, it's, it's long-suffering. It's willing to suffer for a long time. Love, for the sake of another person, for the sake of relationship, for, for the sake of another, is willing to endure things the way you don't like them. Love is willing to, to take on pain. It's willing to suffer for the sake of another. It's willing to endure hard things. It's willing to endure things you don't like. And for a long time. Why? For the sake of another. Love is patient. It's long-suffering. And the second one, love is kind. Which has connotations of, of gentleness. Love acts kindly. And so what does this look like? What does it look like to be loving in the way that's patient and kind? Well, an example for us, I want you to, uh, to you'd imagine that, that you have children who play sports. And if you have multiple children, you have multiple children playing sports at the same time. Which means you have multiple practices, you're constantly on the go from one thing to the next thing, and that is your life. And because that is your life, you have very zero bandwidth in your life. And so you basically get up and from 
right in the very morning, you get the kids to school and go to work, and you have practices in the evening, you have games on the weekend, and your life has no bandwidth in it, and you're constantly kind of frazzled. And, and you hear, basically, you get a text message that says, this evening at your kids' practice, afterwards, a few of the parents want to have a meeting. And you're like, oh, great. I'm already, how am I going to get home and get dinner ready? And you're like, okay, we're going to go to this meeting. And so you're kind of already frazzled a little bit, and you're already kind of stressed, not kind of, very stressed with the pace of life. And you go to this meeting, and you sit down, and one of the parents stands up, and they say, so we, we've been practicing every week from 5 to 7 every single night, Monday through Friday. Um, but in two months from now, we have that big tournament coming up. And, and so we thought, you know, we could be more prepared for this. We could, get this, we could come in for practice at 6 a.m. also every morning. And that way, we could just do it for the next two months. And that way, when that tournament hits, our kids are going to be ready. They're going to be practiced up. And you're sitting there in your seat. And you begin to feel the heat rise. It starts down here. And heat always rises. And it comes. And it comes. And, and you can just feel yourself wanting to jump up and scream, are you kidding me? What in the world? And in that moment, when you feel that, that basically that tension and that emotion that begins to come over you, you feel that gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit in that moment going, right now, what does love look like? What does it look like to respond in this situation with love? You see, because there's two different ways we can respond. One of them is the loving, and one of them is the unloving. And the unloving response basically uh, allows that heat to rise, the emotion comes, and there's no filter on the mouth, and it jumps up and goes, what? Are you kidding me? Whoever thought of that is an idiot. Who would ever want to do that? And then begin pointing fingers like, you, I know that you are already frazzled, and your kid is tired, my kid is tired, and just begin to basically unload this load of uh, emotion in that moment. You see, because what an unloving response does is it responds out of our emotion to an issue. An unloving response responds out of our emotion to an issue. As a result of our emotional response, basically, tension in the room is now escalated and, and guaranteed there will not be people leaving without hurt feelings. And the usual response to something like this is, but it's true. <laughs> it's a bad idea. And that's what happens so often. It is so often we can respond in unloving ways, but, but they may be very truthful ways. But, but that's why we have to ask, what does love look like in this situation? Because there are a lot of things that are true in this world, but it doesn't mean that we get off the hook for not being loving. And, and that's why we, we need to ask these questions about what does love look like? And, and love doesn't respond in this way. Love does not respond to an issue because love is kind. And you cannot direct kindness towards issues or topics, you can only direct kindness towards people. You see, the sad truth is there are so many people in the world, so many of us at times, that are willing to burn relational bridges for the sake of issues. 
But we have a God who loves people, who, who has created the world in his image. And because the world, we as, as human beings are image bearers of God, we, we deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, and other people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Because God loves people and values people, but, but, but so often issues can become more important to us. One of my um, pastimes, one of my hobbies, is I love reading uh, United States president biographies. I have the goal uh, of one day reading uh, a biography on every single United States president um, so I can kind of have a working framework of American history in my mind and kind of see this is what's happened over the course of our nation. I'm about halfway through that right now. And one of the things that has fascinated me as I've gone through is I can read one U.S. president's story his life, and you get up to his presidency, and he will have one or two issues of the day that will consume his entire time in office. And, and the president, and the Congress, and the Senate, and the American people will all be fighting over this issue, and it will consume, and he's like, is he going to get this law passed, or is he not going to get it passed? Is this going to happen, or is it not going to get happen? And, and you just go through, and it just dominates his tenure. And then you pick up the next president's biography, and no one cares. It's as if, because now it's normal. Now that decision has already been made, and four years later there's a new leader, and when you read through that biography, it's a new issue. It's a new topic. And that one's already been decided, and then you read the next one, and it's a new set of issues. For example, how many of you woke up this morning distraught and distressed about President Jimmy Carter's decision to begin to turn over the, the Panama Canal. Very, very big deal. But now it's done, and a new generation of people are going to rise up, not even knowing the history. For example, how many of you woke up this morning kind of upset with Woodrow Wilson for how long it took America to get into World War I? Very big issue. And, and see, there's just constantly things like this that are issues that, that within a decade people aren't going to remember about, that are so important that people are willing to act unloving and unkind to people who are created in the image of God because the issue has become more important than people. You see, issues come and go, but the souls of people are eternal. And every single person who repents of their sins and places their faith in Jesus Christ will spend eternity with God. And every single person who does, not, who does not know the saving grace of Jesus Christ will spend eternity apart from Jesus Christ. But, but their souls are eternal. And that is why we are called to love people and, and to respond to them in loving and kind ways because God values people more than he does these issues. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's why love responds to the person, not the issue. So what does a, a loving response look like? In that situation where you're sitting in the room and, and the parents are all nodding in agreement, yeah, we should do 6 a.m. practices. And, and you can begin to, to see what your life is going to look like in that moment when you're frazzled. And you have that gentle nudge of, 
what does love look like in this moment? In that moment, love takes a deep breath and it responds to individuals. It responds to people. Love values relationships and that value of relationships motivates us to be kind. But in that moment, what our emotions will do, our emotions will, will ask us this question, but w what if we don't stand up and what if we don't basically make a big scene and try to kill this thing immediately? What if we don't do this and what if we have 6 a.m. practices? I, I think the real question in that moment we need to ask ourselves is, what is more important to, to the Creator whether we have 6 a.m. practices or how we treat people created in the image of God. I remember the, the first time uh, the Lord began to put these, these things in my own heart and to show me myself was um, when I first arrived to the church where I've been serving now uh, for five years, I walked into a, a church that had been in conflict for I don't even know how long. Um, it was basically two churches within one church, um, unbeknownst to me, and it came out very, very quickly. Within two to three weeks, all I did for the next year and a half was basically put out fires and deal with conflict. And I remember my first elder meeting when it, it erupted um, was we were having this discussion on the church sign. It's always over really important stuff, right? Um, we're having this discussion on the church sign because the, the old one had been there for about a decade. You couldn't read any of the letters anymore. It had the old pastor's name on it who'd been gone for about four years. And the discussion came up, we need to replace the sign. Okay, great. And they, and they started, all the elders started talking about, well, what's going to go on the sign? Well, we need the, the name of the church. We need the phone number. Uh, we need the service times. And, and one of the elders goes, and we need Pastor Mark's name on it. Have to have his name. And I said, actually... I'd, I'd rather not have my name on it because I, I feel strongly about this. It communicates that the pastor is more important than, than everyone else. And not that it's a right or wrong thing. This is just my personal preference. And I, the pastoral position already gets enough honor. I don't believe that I need my name on the sign. I'd rather we keep it off. To which there was, this man responded, your name's going on the sign. I said, well, um, I would like to have a discussion about that. He said, No. There's not a discussion. Your name's going on the sign. It's how we do things. And, and so what began is basically this hour and a half heated meeting on a sign. The next morning, I wake up. I'm still mad. <laughs> and so I begin walking around town and just begin praying and pouring out my heart, basically going, God, can you believe this? Like, I, I want to try to be more humble. I don't want to try to not have my name on the sign. And he's not allowing it. And I just basically begin to vent for 20 minutes and I finally get to the end of all my complaints. Let's be honest, it's probably 30 to 40 minutes. And after this, God goes, Mark, do you want to hear what I have to say about it? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. He goes, do you think when you get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is have you and him sit down and go, we need to discuss the sign <laughs> because this is important. And it's just this realization of, no, no. He goes, what, what do you think is more important? Whether your name is on that sign or how you treated your brother in Christ last night. Which of those is more important to me? And it's just this realization of, wow, 
I value issues more than I value people many times. And it was just this time for me basically to be humbled and go, wow, I need to apologize for how I acted last night. If you're wondering, I lost. My name went on the sign. <laughs> but it's not there anymore. But it's just this realization of, I'm allowed to have an opinion. I'm allowed to state my opinion. But I need to be kind in how I do it. And I need to make sure that I value people and value relationships more than the issues of the day. This brings us back to, to our one question for today. What does love look like? What does love look like? Love looks like an intentional decision to act patiently and kindly, especially when people disagree with you. Especially when it's an issue that, that, that begins to raise your blood pressure. Especially when people mistreat you. And especially when everything inside of you tells you to fight for these issues. Because the reality is, love isn't about us. Love isn't about our opinions. Love isn't about making us look good. Love is, isn't about anything to do with us. us. Love is about God. And every single one of these situations is an opportunity for the love of Jesus Christ to come alive inside of us and flow through us to other people. That, that's what love looks like. It's an intentional choice, especially when it's hard, especially when it's an issue we care deeply about, to say that I am going to value and I am going to treat this individual in front of me with dignity and respect and patience and kindness because I value them and I value their soul more than I value this issue. So as I begin to wrap up today, I just want to ask this question, is there anything in your life that has become more important to you than loving people? Is there anything in your life that has become more important to you than loving people? Perhaps in your marriage. Are there any issues in your marriage that, that are more important than loving your spouse in the way God would intend it? Whether it be how time is utilized, where finances are spent, how children are raised with parenting issues, or, or perhaps at work. What decisions have been made that are so important to you that you are willing to treat people in an unloving way. You see, there's so many things like this in our lives, and we have to constantly ask ourselves these questions of what issues of the day are being more important to us than responding patiently and kindly in the moment? Because every single one of these moments is an opportunity for us to show the love of Jesus, even in the ones we fail in. I remember this week, um, over this last weekend, Easter weekend, my family came down with the flu. Um, my, my youngest got it first, <clears throat> and then he passed it on to my other son, and then they gave it to me graciously, so we all had the flu. And as the weekend's like kind of coming to an end, and the school week is about to start up, all of us were recovering by that point, and we get done eating dinner, and my youngest um, goes, can I have dessert? Because he hasn't had dessert all weekend because he's been sick. And he actually ate his dinner this night, and my wife asked, like, well, are you feeling better? 
And, and he goes, yeah. And then you see the wheels turn. And he goes, yeah, well, I'm feeling a little bit sick. And I was like, oh, great. This is coming back tomorrow morning. When, when school day comes up, he was a little sick last night. He's going to be sick tomorrow morning. But you're, you feel well enough to eat dessert? Yeah. So he eats dessert. He goes to bed. He wakes up in the morning. I know your parents, you know where this is going. I walk downstairs, and my wife goes, James, Roman is in the bathroom, leaning over the toilet. He says he's a 10 out of 10. He's super sick. He can't go to school. I'm just like, so I walk in there. Buddy, you were going to school. I have a job. I can't stay home. I, I'm sorry if you don't feel well, but I, I need to do what I need to do today. And you need to go upstairs right now, and you need to get dressed, and you need to go to school. Okay? Go. And he's, he goes upstairs, gets ready, and I know you're all be surprised. He was fine that day, if you were worried. Um, but, but then I go in, and I sit down at the table to, and open up the, the Word of God to, to prepare this, this message. And I open up, and I read the words, Love is patient love is kind. And I hear that gentle, small voice to me saying, Mark, were you patient and kind, or how you spent your day today was more important than how you treated your kid? Which of those two did you value more in that moment? And there's just this realization. I had to text my wife and say, hey, sorry, I acted unloving. I was not patient. I was not kind. When my son got home that day, I had to get down on his level and be like, hey, buddy, I just want to let you know that how I acted, that is not what love looks like. You see, because I wasn't patient and I wasn't kind. And that's not what Jesus is like. I'm sorry that I did not demonstrate the love of Jesus to you because Jesus is always loving and he's always patient. You see, the reality is even in our failures to show love, it's an opportunity to show the love of Jesus. Every single circumstance, every single situation we get into in life is the opportunity for the love of Jesus to be experienced in our own heart and, and then be passed on to others. That's my prayer for you today. As I said, you ask that question, what does love look like in your life? That you begin to see these things come alive in the moment and that the love of Jesus would flow through you to the lives of others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you love us and you care for us. We thank you so much that your word shows us what love looks like. We thank you so much that you are the source of all love. And as we submit to you and as we seek you in every moment, your love can come alive in other people's life as you work in us and through us. We just want to ask today that you would show us what love looks like. And that each one of these difficult situations as we go out today and we interact with, with people at home, whether it be um, parents with uh, sporting events or people at work, that in every single situation we would feel that gentle, soft voice of the Holy Spirit nudging us, asking, what does love look like in this moment. May you teach us what it looks like and may your love come alive inside of us every day. We just pray all these things in the name and through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.